Well, good morning. My name is David Upchurch. I'm from Lincoln Christian University. Before I do anything, would you express your appreciation to our worship team and band? It is good to be with you today. And I, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we've had some crazy weather. Uh, a week ago Thursday, I, I was in Decatur, and I pulled up for a 1 o'clock meeting, and my car told me it was 61 degrees. I left Decatur, drove to Springfield for a 3 o'clock meeting. I walked out of that one. My car told me it was 31 degrees three hours later, and then we went out to eat, got in the car. It was 21 degrees, 40-degree difference in just about five or six hours, and it seems like it's up and down, and you know, I, I'd hate to be a, a weather person because it's hard to forecast uh, the weather. And it seems like when they try to forecast it, it, it always has a little bit of a, a twist in it. And, and I'm not here to talk about weather, but I am here to talk about a forecast. Here's what I want to ask you. Do you think it's possible to forecast what Mount Pulaski Christian Church will be like 20 years from now? Think it's possible? I think it is. And I don't think it's rocket science. In fact, really all you have to do is look at your bulletin and it has your mission statement, loving God, loving people, reaching the world. And if you do those things, it's going to be a really good forecast. So I could just do a mic drop and walk off and we're done. But I know you'd be disappointed if I didn't talk for at least 24 more minutes. And so I'm going to say a little bit more about that. But it isn't rocket science. It really does come down to how do we love God and how do we love people? If we don't love God and we don't love people, then the forecast isn't very, very positive. But if we are doing a good job at loving God and loving people, then the forecast is good. But we live in a, a very negative, critical, and rude world. Our, our society, you know, you turn on the news and they're just bad news and uh, it seems like everyone's pointing fingers. It doesn't matter what it is. And, and we just see this criticism and this this complaining and, and negativity all the time. I'm, I'm not watching the news very much these days because I'm just tired of it. And here's what happens. If we're not care, careful, the negativity, that, that critical thinking that we, we encounter all day long can follow us home. And then if we're not careful, it can follow us to church as well. And we start looking at what we don't like instead of what's going well or, or what's wrong instead of all the things that are right and we don't want to fall into that first corinthians 13 gives us characteristics of of love that's to be lived out in our lives how we're to treat other people and i want us to look at at verses four through seven today and use that as kind of a jumping off point the apostle paul writes love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it is not rude it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That description of love is, is positive. Uh, negative behavior, uh, the way we uh, think and act, if it's negative, it, it, it leads to being rude. And, and Philipp, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is not rude. So one solution for rudeness is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. that says, show proper respect to everyone. Show proper respect to everyone. What does that mean? What does it mean to show proper respect to everyone? Well, let me suggest it means 
that we're supposed to show proper respect to everyone. That kind of rubs us the wrong way, doesn't it? Because we want to respect the people that we think we ought to respect. We, we want to respect the people that we like, the people we look up to, the people who we agree with. But the Word of God says we're to respect everyone. So why would we do that? Why do you think God would say that? Well, let me suggest three reasons. First, because God made everyone. God made everyone. I, I learned a long time ago, if I'm ever at a church potluck dinner... I just assume that the person I'm talking to made whatever I'm eating. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to be talking to someone, take a bite and say, oh, yeah, that's the worst casserole I've ever had in my life. Oh, you made that. I'm, I'm sorry. So I just assume that whoever I'm talking to made whatever I'm eating. Well, God made everyone. God created everyone. I just wonder if he might be watching to see how we treat them how we respect, how we treat those that he created. Reason number two, because Jesus died for everyone. Jesus died for everyone. And if God loves everyone and Jesus died for everyone, then we ought to respect everyone. And reason number three is because it shows that I really love God. 1 John 4, 8 says, the person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. That kind of cuts through everything, doesn't it? We can't really love God if we don't love people. So how can we be kinder? How can we um, be more Christ-like in the way we deal with people? Well, it can be summed up in two words, and those two words are stay positive. Stay positive, and that's what I want to look at the rest of our, our time together. But before I, I, I look into some steps we can take, I remember an old song that we used to sing when I was in vacation Bible school. I, I don't know if you learned this song when you were a little kid or not. I'm going to do us both a favor, and I'm not going to sing it to you. That would not be a good thing. But I'm, I'm going to just say the words out loud. If you know the words, say them with me. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little tongue, what you say. That's a song that we might sing when we're little kids, but can you imagine how much better life would be if we would live those words out? That we would be careful what we say, that we would be careful how we talk to and about other people. So with that in mind, let's look at some steps that we can take. Step number one is when you speak to people, be tactful. When you speak to people, be tactful. A lot of our conflict with other people could be solved if we would just think before we speak, and that's basically what tactfulness is. And what I, is what I'm about to say going to help or is it going to hurt? Is there a better way to say what I feel like saying? Because sometimes we just say whatever we want to say when there might be a better way to say it. I heard someone one time say that, that tactfulness is um, it, it's communication lubrication, that it eases the friction between people. Someone else said that when you use tact, you have less to retract because you thought before you spoke. And I've had plenty of times in my life where I've said the wrong thing to someone, and I've gone back to apologize, and if you blow it, it's always good to apologize. 
but it's better not to have to go back and apologize because you said it right the first time. The book of Proverbs is filled with great advice on how to speak to other people. Proverbs 15, 23 says, How wonderful it is to be able to say the right thing at the right time. Wouldn't that be great if we could always say the right thing at the right time? Now, does tact mean that it's okay to, to lie? To not tell the truth because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings? No, we, we, we need to tell the truth, but we need to, to do it in a loving way. I heard an old story about a, a preacher and, and a lady stopped by his office and she had been baking pies and she said, preacher, I was baking pies, I just wanted your family to have one. And, and she left and he'd had her pie before. She was the worst cook in the entire church. Everyone knew it. And so he took it home and he showed it to his wife and he said, look what so-and-so brought by. And they looked at each other, they nodded, he walked over and they threw it in the trash can. The following Sunday, the lady came up to him and said, Preacher, how'd you like that pie? And he looked at her and smiled and said, Let me tell you something. A pie like that doesn't last long at our house. <laughs> now that's tact. He did not lie. I came across some definitions of tact that I think are pretty good. Uh, tact is what you thought but did not say. Tact is the ability to make a point without making an enemy. Tact is changing the subject without changing your mind. But I love the last two. Tact is telling someone to jump off a cliff in such a way that they look forward to the trip. And the last one, tact is making people feel at home when you wish they really were. That's tact. Well, Paul gives a good definition of tact in Ephesians 4 when he says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. My guess is that you and I both know people who are rude and they seem proud of it. They say things like, I tell it like it is. I believe in being blunt. I lay it on the line. I speak my mind. If you can't stand the heat, stay out of the kitchen. I don't beat around the bush. But let me just share with you today that telling it like it is with no thought of the other person's feeling is not candid, it's rude, it's not loving, and it doesn't please God. God wants us to be truthful, but he wants us to be tactful as well. Have you ever had someone come up to you and ask that question? Would you like to hear a little constructive criticism? How do you respond to that? Here's one of the great things about getting older in ministry. When I was younger, I, I thought I had to say, well, yes. As I've gotten older, I just say, no, thank you. Uh, what I feel like saying is, well, well, yeah, but let me go home first and put on my chest protector and my shin guards, my face mask, and my helmet because I know I'm about to get the stuff and beat out of me. And I do know that there is such a thing as constructive criticism but what I found is that probably 90% of criticism is not constructive at all. And I, I don't know why we feel like we ought to have that critical spirit when we talk to people. I've been in ministry almost 40 years. It'll be 40 years next month. I've had the privilege of spending time Sunday after Sunday at, with some of the most loving and gracious and giving people I've ever met. But I, I just want to be honest with you. 
some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life would never dream of missing a Sunday. Do you know what I mean? Just nod. Don't point. Just, just, just nod. Okay. I, I don't know why it is that there's this disconnect that we, we think that we can treat people in a way that isn't loving. And for the life of me, I don't understand why people who claim to know and love and follow Jesus have a hard time treating other people who claim to know and love and follow Jesus in a loving way. So step number one is when you speak to people, be tactful. Step number two is when you deal with people, be understanding. A key to being patient, in 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient. A key is trying to understand the other person. And in order to treat people with respect, you have to stop being demanding and try to be a little more understanding. But again, we live in a very demanding society, and sometimes that, that rubs off on us. There's an old story about a, a guy who went to see a doctor, and he had a mole on his neck. He had an appointment to get the mole taken off. And he, he went to the doctor's office, and the nurse at the front desk said, go down the hall, last room on the right, take off all your clothes, and the doctor will, I'm doing something wrong here. The doctor will be with you shortly. He said, ma'am, I don't think you understand. I've got a mole on my neck. Why should I take off all my clothes? She said, I don't think you understand. I said, go down the hall, last room on the right, take off all your clothes, and the doctor will be with you in, in a few minutes. He said, ma'am, I don't think you're listening to me. I've got a mole on my neck. Why should I take off all my clothes? She said, sir, I don't think you're listening to me. Go down the hall, last room on the right, take off all your clothes, the doctor will be with you shortly. So he goes down the hall, last room on the right, opens the door, steps in, turns around, he sees another man standing there in his underwear holding his clothes. And he looked at the man and he said, man, she's rough, isn't she? And the guy said, tell me about it, I'm the UPS man. <laughs> well, sometimes that's the way Christians are viewed. I would take my coat off, but in the spirit of uh, being um, transparent, as I was going out the garage door, our doorknobs are the kind that have the little hook on them, they're not round, it caught my pants, and I've got a rip down my uh, side here, so you're, you're just going to have to put up with the, the popping, I, I'm sorry about that, handheld. I'll do the handheld. Are we on? Okay. My pants are ripped. That's where I left off. <laughs> but sometimes in, in the church and sometimes in the world, we can be demanding Tony Campolo years ago told about a, in a book he wrote uh, about a survey of waiters and waitresses who said that their least favorite shift to work was the Sunday afternoon shift. They said the people were more demanding and they gave smaller tips and they just weren't very nice. Now, who makes up a big part of the Sunday afternoon crowd? It's people leaving church, going home. Isn't that a, a sad commentary? Isn't that a, a bad witness? We need to be more understanding and show it. 
Luke 6.31 is better known as the golden rule, and it tells us, do to others as you would have them do to you. Again, it's not rocket science. It's just about loving God and loving people and treating them well. So when you deal with people, be understanding. The third step is when you disagree with people, be gentle. You know, there are things that as Christians we should not agree with. There are things in the world that, that we should not, we cannot agree with. But we have to be careful how we express our disagreement. For example, I can disagree with abortion. That doesn't mean I can go out and shoot an abortion doctor or bomb an abortion clinic. I can disagree with same-sex marriage. But that does not give me the right to be mean-spirited or hateful. And again, I, I've been in ministry for almost 40 years, and, and I love the church. I, I love people. But it seems like sometimes in church we have a hard time loving each other the way we should. Why is that? Well, basically, it's because none of us are perfect. Let, let me just do a little survey to find out how many of you are perfect. Can I see your hands? None of us are perfect. Oh, well, I had a hand over here. I saw that hand. We aren't perfect, are we? So we don't always act the way we ought to act. I, I, I want, here's what I want to do. I'm going to try to do this as quick as I can, but I'm going to introduce you to some people who I've had in my churches over the years. I've changed their names but my guess is you probably know some of their cousins. The first guy I call Anonymous Al. And, and Anonymous Al, he, he loves to write letters and notes, but he doesn't sign his name. And when I was in, in ministry, just starting out, that used to just eat my lunch. I'd get an anonymous letter, and I'd think, oh, no, another one. And, and I can't tell you how many kingdom hours I, I wasted trying to figure out who wrote it. I mean, I, I was CSI before there was CSI, the TV show. I, you know, are they left-handed? Are they right-handed? Uh, does it sound like a man or a woman? Is there a phrase I've heard someone else say before? And, and I tried to, to figure it out. One elders meeting, I went in and I said, guys, we got another anonymous letter. And then one of the elders said, let me see that. And he wadded it up and he threw it away. And he said, that's what we do with anonymous letters around here. If they're not going to sign their name, we don't read it. And I am indebted to that elder for the countless hours that he saved me in the next 30-plus years. But here's what I discovered a few years ago. Anonymous letters have been around for a long time. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, uh, said that uh, he was with a group of people one time, and he, he reached in his suit coat pocket, and there's a piece of paper. And he pulled it out, and he remembered a guy had given it to him earlier in the day. And so he opened it up, and it had one word on it, only one word. And it's a word that we all know, but I, I'm just going to choose not to say it out loud. I'll give you a clue. It's another word for donkey. Think you got it? For those of you who aren't quite sure, I'll give you one more clue. If you're thinking jackrabbit, you're only halfway right, and that's all, all the clues I'm going to give. And he, he looked at it, and he looked at the people, and he said, now this is a first. I've had plenty of times where people wrote a letter and forgot to sign their name. This guy signed his name and forgot to write the letter. Well, that's Anonymous Al. The, the second person I call Tightwad Tanya. Tightwad Tanya's mantra is, if I don't get my way, 
I won't give my money. And folks, there are all kinds of churches across our country who are being held hostage by a tight wad conscience. And here's what I learned a long time ago. I hope you know this. Our God is rich. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need Tanya's money, and neither do we. And isn't that a pretty terrible motivation for giving anyway? There's tight wad Tanya. Then there's complaining Carl. And complaining Carl doesn't like anything. He complains all the time. Carl's the kind of guy that I would see him come down the hallway, and I would try to take a left or a right because I knew he wasn't coming with a compliment. It was, it was a complaint. When I was preaching at Rochester, we had a Saturday night and three Sunday morning services, and, and every once in a while we'd have one of those weekends that you just dream of, uh, attendance records, and the spirit was great, and, and we had uh, a bunch of baptisms. And we had one of those weekends, and Carl came up to me afterwards, and he said, Preacher, I didn't like that one song we sang. Thanks for sharing that with me, Carl. FYI, we weren't singing it to you. You just need to know that. We just complain and complain and complain. And the last person I call Facebook Frank. And Facebook Frank addresses every social, cultural, and political issue on Facebook, but never with any grace or love. And if he doesn't like something that happens at church, he will blast the preachers or the elders. If he didn't think the sermon was very good, he'll let the Facebook world know that the preacher didn't work very hard on his sermon and, and critique it. And then Frank wonders why the church isn't growing and people aren't visiting. I, I could go on and on and tell you about other people that have been in my churches that have been negative. But let me introduce you to a few people who over the years have been such a positive influence on me and, and on the church overall. I call the first guy Ernie the Encourager. And Ernie's just there. You know, he's never going to be up front. He's not going to teach, preach, lead worship. But when you walk in a room and Ernie's there, you just feel better. Do you know someone like that? Ernie's the kind of guy that he'd be in the hospital, and I'd go to visit him, and I wanted to minister to him, encourage him, cheer him up. I'd walk out, and I'd be getting in my car, and I'd think, now how did that happen? He cheered me up. He encouraged me. He's the kind of guy that, and I'm confident this never happens with Mark, but uh, there were times that I would be ready for a sermon. I'm, I'm excited, thinking this is going to be a really good sermon. And about five minutes into it, I realized this isn't a really good sermon. About 10 minutes in, I think this sermon is not good at all. About 15 minutes, how can I get out of this? And, and, and the sermon's over, and I go back, and I stand in the back, and people come up, and most people are pretty gracious. They're not going to come up and say, that was the worst sermon we've ever heard in our lives. Carl will say that, but, but the others won't. And then Ernie would come through the line. And with tears in his eyes, he'd say, Preacher, how did you know? How did you know what I needed to hear today? God spoke through you today. And I'd go home, and I'd know it wasn't a good sermon. But Ernie reminded me that's not about me anyway. It's about God. I love Ernie. Next guy's Harry the helper, and he doesn't need to be in the spotlight. He just wants to help. He, whatever you need, he's there. He will help and help and help. He's got a servant's heart. The third person I call Pat the prayer warrior. And Pat will pray and pray and pray. She will pray for you when you can't pray for yourself. Have you ever been there? I have. 
going through a tough time and you pray and it just feels like the, the prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And I'd get through one of those tough times and I'd be on the other side and I'd look back and think, how on earth did I make it through there? And then it dawns on me, I made it through because Pat prayed me through. And folks, we need a lot of Pats in our church today. Let me tell you about one more. And I know that preachers say we don't have favorites, but you need to know something. We lie. Because this one has been my favorite for 40 years. I call her Betty the Baker. And Betty the Baker knows the perfect time to come by with a plate of chocolate chip cookies or a coconut cream pie or a German chocolate cake. Now, I don't know if I'll ever be invited to come back to speak at Mount Pulaski again, but just in case, I'm going to repeat that. <laughs> chocolate chip cookies. Some of you ought to be taking notes right now. Let me just... German chocolate cake, coconut, coconut cream pie. And I don't know how it is. I don't know how this works. But there are times when there is something almost spiritual about a plate of chocolate chip cookies at the right time. Here's what I do know. You give me a church filled with Ernie's and Harry's and Pat's and Betty's, and we can turn Mount Pulaski upside down for Jesus. Because, again, it's not rocket science. It's about loving God and loving people. So what does all this have to do with forecasting the future of the church here at Mount Pulaski? Well, my guess is you know that the world is already, you already know the world is messed up. And every day the news seems like it's just filled with hate and fighting and everyone pointing fingers at everyone else. And we're told that if we vote for a certain candidate, things will get better. Or if a certain bill is passed, everything will be okay. Or maybe if we win the lottery or we buy everything that the commercials tell us that we can't live without, then, then everything will be okay. None of those things are true. There's only one thing that will make real and lasting impact and change, and that is the love of Jesus Christ. And the church is the body of Christ. It is through the church that people will see the love of Jesus and be drawn to Jesus. And that's why it's so important that we as the church love God and love people. Because the church really is the hope of the world. The world desperately needs the love of Jesus. Revelation 7, 9 says this, we're, we're giving this picture of, of heaven. It says, after this I looked and there before me is a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. I, I love that picture because it tells us that the Great Commission is going to be carried out. People from every tribe, every nation, every language is going to be there. But it goes down, verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? Now, that's the question. The question isn't, is the Great Commission going to be carried out? The question is, how is it going to happen? Where are all these people going to come from? And here's what I, I just want to plant this in your mind. Wouldn't it be great if on that day when that question is asked, where did all these people come from? That someone will speak up and say, there's a church in a little town called Mount Pulaski. Man, did they love God and love people. And they sent their sons and their daughters out 
to make an impact for the kingdom of God, and they partnered with missionaries all around the world, and they loved each other so much that the world stood up and took notice, and that's where a lot of these people came from. I came across a little, it's not a poem, just a little rhyme, I guess, that I want to wrap up with. It, it goes like this. It's a question. What would my church be if every member was just like me? What would my church be if every member was just like me? What would my church be if everyone loved God the way I love God? What would my church be if every member loved other people the way I love other people? What would my church be if other people talked other people the way I talk to other people. And may, may we today commit and recommit ourselves to really be in the body of Christ and not just saying it, but really loving God and loving people. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray right now that you would help us to, to not just go through the motions. God, I pray that we would be your church. I pray that we would be the body of Christ. I pray that when people look at us and they encounter us and they hear us, Father, I pray that they would encounter and hear and witness the love of Jesus in us and through us. Father, I pray for your hand of blessing to be upon this congregation in the coming weeks and months and years. And I pray, Father, that because of the way they love you and love each other, that one day there will be men and women and boys and girls in heaven because of how they loved. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.